Do you know what time it is? It's that time again with Cindy Gern, who has the latest news about employment trends, current opportunities, and innovative strategies for managing a career on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. Hello and welcome to Cracking the AI Code show, where we deconstruct world-class AI experts and learn how to get into data science and machine learning to address the future of the workforce. Not a day passes when we don't hear in the news about another AI application. Google, Amazon, Alibaba are the world leaders in introducing newer AI technologies. But this show will separate the hype of AI from reality to better prepare ourselves for the jobs of tomorrow. Today we have with us Malays Murugesan, co-founder and CEO of Abion, a boutique artificial intelligence consulting company. Welcome, Malaysh. Good to be here. Thanks, Shwati. Of course. So I wanted to start off with what I call your origin story. Essentially, what did you study in school and how did you transition and enter into the world of AI? Sure. So I... Um I studied computer science at George Mason uh, here in actually in Virginia, and uh, right after that, went and worked for a for a smaller company that does government contracting work. And I was with them, and during the time I was there, they got acquired by uh, by Rolls Royce Naval Marine, which is you know as as you know it's a extremely large um, company. I was with Rolls Royce for a bit, and then left and went to do my MBA at the University of Maryland. Uh, finished there, came back and worked for Rolls Royce, and um, and actually I left Virginia to go down to uh, to Florida for family reasons, and um, uh, while when while I was with Rolls Royce, I was managing a fairly large enterprise application for the U.S. Navy, and when I had left and went down to Florida. Um, uh, the Navy had called me back a year and a half into it and said, you know, can you come back and start, uh, can you help us, you know, rebuild this application, which brought me back to Virginia, which got well, got started with ABN. So that's how I actually started my company. Every entrepreneur have, you know, have their path mm-hmm. to starting a company. And it kind of, I, I consider myself lucky to be able to have, you know, this relationship and... and Absolutely. You um, don't hear that often. Yeah, yeah. So so it kind of, you know, again, like I said, it was, uh, I think it was fairly lucky for me to be able to do that. Um, I was uh, always very passionate about uh, design, right? So mm-hmm. I when I initially started, um, started the firm, I started it very much as a design-focused technology firm and and as you can already you know as you can tell I'm, I'm fairly nerdy and, and a geek so so uh, you know it's a design based technology firm and we started working um, uh, working in you know design based projects and interestingly we had a client in healthcare um, this is a year and a half into running the company um, uh, so th- he's a psychologist based out of uh, LA and he would, you know, he's been practicing for 30 plus years and, um, you know, fairly well known in, in psychology world. He's, you know, he's written books that are used as textbooks in, in universities, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so interestingly, what he has been doing over the 30 years of practicing 
medicine is, uh, you know, this is before the advent of EMR and any mm-hmm. of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so every time he would have a conversation with his patient, he would just type it in into, mm-hmm. a, into a simple Word document with the patient name, the, you know, the date that, that happened, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he had he had records of you know thirty years worth of conversations that he had with his patients mm-hmm. um, uh, in his in his computer, mm-hmm. and we engaged with him uh, for a fairly uh, simple project initially. Mm-hmm. And six months into the project, he um, you know he had mentioned that you know you guys seem like you know sharp sharp guys. You know I have all this data, and I've I've been hearing. You know quite a bit about what you know these days what artificial intelligence can do with this data. Can you take a look at this data, right? And this is back in 2013 uh, time frame before before AI became what AI is today. Correct. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so so then we decided we said sure. So we decided to take a look at this his vast amounts of data and then mm-hmm. started looking at what can we do to extract information from this data, extract knowledge from this data. Um, which kind of got us into the path of AI, right? So that's interesting uh, that a psychologist actually probed you to go in that direction. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it was it was a very you know again you know you talk about journey where mm-hmm. you know you don't know what what will happen at what time and where it will lead you. Um, Sometimes, yeah. So so it, it kind of really you know for us it, we we fell into that path of of looking at data and and looking at you know extracting information from the data. And we really, as we started, you know, digging more and more into this, we really got very passionate about the space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, so you know, since then we have uh, we have fair, you know, did a small pivot, I should say, mm-hmm. to be to be an AI focused uh, firm, and you know, um, uh, and even within AI, AI is fairly, as you know, it's a fairly broad mm-hmm. topic, right? And there's so much under AI. Um, and and what, the topic is often overloaded, misused, misinterpreted. Absolutely. It's so broad. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you talk to people about AI, they'll talk, oh, Skynet, and it's going to take over, you know, robots and uh, <laughs> humanoids. All of that, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, what we have, uh, we have done is to, you know, g- given we wanted to be uh, fairly focused, mm-hmm. um, we decided to concentrate on very specifically NLP. Based process in natural language processing, and even within natural language, there's so many things you can do, right? So, right. so that's our that has been our focus, and that's what we have been doing so far. Um, it's it's an exi- exciting exciting path, right? And right, and, and it's an exciting time to be in that space it's a very because time. every week, like Google I/O conference, it's yes. all the talk, right? Yes. Yeah. So I think the timing is perfect to get into that world. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting you mentioned Google I/O. They are, you know, coming up with TensorFlow mm-hmm. two mm-hmm. Um, uh, very soon, right? And mm-hmm. and supposedly it's going to be uh, a major update to TensorFlow one. Where they're incorporating Keras and mm-hmm. TensorFlow into into a single platform, right? That's uh, which powerful. Is, which is very powerful, right? Mm-hmm. I think what they are trying to trying to do really is to make it easy for folks to be able to do AI or implement AI solutions, right, uh, within an organization without having to just use APIs and and, that and write a ton thing. of code. Write a ton of code, exactly. Mm-hmm. So so um, yeah, it's a, it's a great time to be uh, to be doing this stuff. So. Um, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm very excited. 
Awesome. So talk to me a little bit about Airbion and how Airbion is using some of the business use cases of AI itself. Sure. So um, I'll give you a couple of quick examples. Mm-hmm. Um uh, you know, as I had initially mentioned, we are uh, in reviewing large documents, unstructured documents. So, mm-hmm. so we do some work for uh, for the U.S. Navy, a branch of U.S. Navy, where we are looking at 30 years worth of maintenance and repair data. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, to to uh, if you if you think kind of think about it, let's say if the ship is you know in in Far East somewhere and something breaks down. Uh, what essentially happens is the is the chief engineer on the ship who's you know responsible for you know, maintaining the ship and taking care of the ship, um, goes in and, and opens up a Word document and types it, you know, uh, Lubal purifier, uh, noisy, there is there is some leakage on on the sides, uh, blah, 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 right? He types in what happens to, to what's been happening as a repair item. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what they do is they initially post, they immediately post it to as a solicitation uh, because the ship has to be in operations, right? Mm-hmm. So post it as a solicitation for contractors to be able to bid on it and come and do the work uh, very, very quickly, right? So they'll take the ship quickly to a dock, either at Singapore or, or in Japan, um, and, and the work will be done, right? So, so now um, what happens is this specific work that's being done on the machine is now recorded on a Word document. It's mm-hmm. Now it kind of go, if you think about it, it kind of goes back to psychology story, mm-hmm. where several years of what's been happening on machines are documented on Word documents, right? So so now as, uh, you know, now data is king. So mm-hmm. we want to look at everything that has happened to a machine in order for us to move to a reliability-based maintenance, right? Mm-hmm. So um, so what we have, um, what we are doing is we are actually now uh, reading through these 30, you know, 30 years of data, there's, there's somewhere around 800,000 plus documents, mm-hmm. right? So there's... And I'm sure there are shits of handwritten notes thrown around. Oh, absolutely, around. absolutely, right? Um, so so we, are, uh, we, will, we are building an AI model that can, that can read this data and extract what has happened to that, you know, what was the machine that the work was done on, what mm-hmm. happened, what's the failure mode of the machine, and how, how was it fixed? All of that history that happened to that machine, the machinery history of it, has been extracted mm-hmm. uh, and stored into a, a database so we can analyze the data further mm-hmm. and provide efficiency in their operations, right? So that's that's a fairly, uh, it, it's a simple and complex example of, of implementation of AI, right? I oh, mean, the, absolutely. The, I think it's pretty complex. And one of the things I wanted the audience to understand is, unlike what the movies portray AI to be a robot, this is actually intelligence where you are collecting 30 years of, say, handwritten notes about ship repairs and and making it to to something intelligence um, application that can make some decisions like predictive analytics as to when a ship might break down potentially or things might break down inside the ship, right? Yeah, I mean, the the reason I mentioned to, to do operation efficiency, it's it's hard to predict when exactly it is going to break down, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we need a lot more data. We need, you know, a lot more uh, machine learning for it. But there is a we can predict a certain uh, period where mm-hmm. it can break down, right? So we right. can say in the next two to three months, there's a potential for this to break down or, mm-hmm. or something to go wrong with this equipment. Mm-hmm. What that eventually does happen is you know as as far as navy is concerned the ships are if they have to be in full operating status that's the you know they have to be serving the mission mostly mm-hmm. um 
uh, when they're not in full operating status, which they call the ROV, which is the rest operating status, then the it's not performing the mission it is supposed to. Mm-hmm. So the idea is to ha- keep the chip in full operating status most of the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so now, when if you do know that this equipment is going to break down, it allows you to uh, do one. Uh, do maintenance before you go out on the ship. Mm-hmm. If not, if let's say if you have to get out immediately, you can take the parts that you need to replace these. If something goes bad, mm-hmm. you can take the parts with you. So when you know when it does go bad, there's the ship force workless. The people who are on the ship would be able to replace it. Because mm-hmm. what happens is most of the time, these when something breaks down. They have to get to the dock just because they don't have a part to replace. Right. Although the engineers on the ship are, are if ready to go, ready to do it, mm-hmm. do the work. But mm-hmm. if you don't have a part, you can't do anything about it, right? right. So, so just having part on hand in a way uh, is very helpful for mm-hmm. them to be able to keep the ship operational, which which is huge operational efficiency from you know from the navy standpoint, right? So, yeah, um, that's, so that's a great example. Yeah, it's it's just, the business value of saying the U.S. Navy ships are actually doing what they're supposed to do just with this artificial intelligence application, which is not a human-looking robot, but actually understanding the data of the historical data of its repairs and extracting the intelligence out of it. Absolutely. That's a great example. So I know you talked about Google I.O. Any other interesting AI trends that you're currently observing that are very exciting to you? So um, I want to give you another quick example for sure, you. Sure, sure, um, go ahead. Because, uh, you know, um, is the, which is a lot more, I think, closer for people's day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, we all know about social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all know about Twitter, right? And, right. and with, you know, with our president, it has become more and more popular. Popular, yeah. Um, so we do some work for, uh, for another federal agency uh, where what we are doing is automatically reviewing the tweets that come in, right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, they they get a, a huge number of tweets on a daily basis, mm-hmm. um, uh, and unfortunately, a, a, a good percentage of this of those tweets are toxic tweets, right? So mm-hmm. um, these are these are you know tweets um, that are uh, that are fairly toxic in a way. You know the people they're angry and, and might be generated by bots too. And might be generated by bots. Absolutely mm-hmm. right. Absolutely right. Um, so, so what we have done is we have um, we've written an AI model that can mm-hmm. actually un- read the tweet, understand what the tweet says, mm-hmm. uh, and do a couple of things. Right, one, discard toxic tweets. Right, mm-hmm. um, because what happens is, let's say if there's you know sixty percent of toxic tweets, there's the other forty percent of tweets are actually valid concerns by the citizens, mm-hmm. which needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because of the overwhelming influx of toxic tweets, the the valid tweets kind of get buried buried mm-hmm. under it, right? Mm-hmm. And and it becomes harder for the social you know social media representatives working for the agency to be able to find the right tweets and respond to the right tweets and really provide the service that the citizens are looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, so so what we have done. Uh, is being able to review these tweets mm-hmm. on a real-time basis, mm-hmm. um, uh, discard the toxic tweets, mm-hmm. uh, identify tweets from you know uh, tweets from bots and th- those type of things, and actually bring the right tweets to the forefront. And not only just that, and you know channeling these 
tweets or categorizing these tweets and channeling these tweets to the right person to actually take care of this tweet, right? Mm-hmm. If somebody says, you know, I've uh, you know I've submitted an application, I've never received a response back, mm-hmm. or you know I have not received the funds that I'm promised. Um, we are able to send it to the right person so that you know so that person can respond to that mm-hmm. to the citizen appropriately. Uh, so so I think that you know that's a that's a fairly interesting use case as well. Mm-hmm. And if you kind of look at it, you know these days, where you know the government is is looking at how can they provide efficient services to their citizens. Right. Um, and citizens this, are demanding it in this day and age. This, exactly. And in, and more so as millennials become adults, they are only used to social media talking. They they want response yeah, immediately. They don't, they're not going to pick up yeah. the phone and call one eight hundred IRS.com, right? They are they are going to either you know, I actually read uh, a report that uh, that kind of talked about the the millennials will you know exactly like you said will try all avenues before they actually pick up the phone and call right mm-hmm. so the websites the chat mm-hmm. uh, social media all of it before they even even call so if you're not providing services in these platforms then you know you're 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 losing a huge, you know, a good amount of uh, citizen services. Uh, yeah, and maybe revenue for IRS in a couple of years. It's absolutely right. It's absolutely right. Yeah. Right. No, that's a wonderful use case. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, so going back to my earlier question, sure. what are some of the exciting AI trends that you're observing now? So, you know, again, uh, we uh, we're fairly focused on, on NLP, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, what we have, um, you know, what we've been doing, which, which I think um, is deploying AI as microservices, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, building... AI models is one. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing them in your environment, uh, deploying as a, as an entire platform is one. Right. But now, how do you how do you deploy AI services as microservices, mm-hmm. right? That other agencies can utilize, right? Mm-hmm. So we have been doing uh, quite a bit, and and that space is also fairly fairly. New, mm-hmm. right? there's not. You don't see a lot of AI services. I mean, at least. So you know, does that mean no. you're making it as a platform and language independent? Correct. Okay. Yeah, we're making it as a um, deployable. Any you can deploy it anywhere. Type mm-hmm. of thing. So mm-hmm. one other thing that that uh, you know that fascinates for us about TensorFlow um, and Google's platform is you're able to you're able to build it and scale it the way you want it to, mm-hmm. right? Um, again, go, going well, I can give you a simple example. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say you're traveling to Spain and you want, you don't, you know, you don't speak Spanish and you want to be able to translate uh, English to Spanish, right? Mm-hmm. But let's say you don't have Wi-Fi there or you don't have data on your phone. Mm-hmm. What you're able to do is to now you know, it's an AI that translate when you when you type in English on your on Google and, mm-hmm. and to translate, it actually obviously is connected to the internet. It goes to the Google Cloud and translates it back to Spanish. Mm-hmm. Imagine you're able to do that without any internet connection, right? So mm-hmm. the, the way um, they're able to do it is they're able to bundle it into a very extremely small package mm-hmm. just for Spanish translation and mm-hmm. and deploy it onto your onto your phone, right? Mm-hmm. So. So the scalability of it, the, the flexibility of it, it can scale, you know, as big as you want, but it can also scale it as small as you want back mm-hmm. down to your phone, right? So 
Um, so that's something that we have, you know, that we are exploring quite a bit recently. And uh, you know, and uh, because the space is fairly, fairly uh, fluid and evolving, mm-hmm. um, OpenIE is open information extraction is another technology that that we are quite uh, looking into quite a bit as well, being able to uh, do unsupervised extractions, right? Mm-hmm. So. Um, unsupervised extraction is a whole different ball game, ball game yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So when you talk about supervised, you know, supervised training, you, you know, you're labeling data, um, uh, you know, and and you're actually building model and making mm-hmm. the model learn. That you're actually manually improving the model as mm-hmm, it learns, mm-hmm. right? In unsupervised uh, training, you're actually not doing any of that. You, you're, mm-hmm. It's kind of like a wild, wild west of mm-hmm. it. Um, so there's a lot of things that that has to be looked into um, to make sure that the model doesn't go crazy, uh, you right. know, for lack of a better term. Um, so, so that's something that we are super excited about as well. Awesome. And and have you been observing that previous jobs, whether it's computer programmers or any other jobs, um, they're getting improved with this addition of new jobs like data scientists or augmented because there is a fear around AI replacing uh, most jobs, right? So, what are your thoughts about that? So, you know, I know there's the you know there's a there's a big negative uh, image or cast that's been put on uh, you know AI losing jobs, and I think I wouldn't call it that AI would would kill jobs, but I would rather call it as AI would change some of the jobs, right? I think there is some truth to some of the jobs might go away, but if you if you you know there was a report by uh, the World Economic Forum that came out in 20, 2018 called Future of Jobs Report, mm-hmm. uh, and what they have uh, what they have uh, estimated is um, AI will lead to seventy you know uh, lead to seventy five mil going seventy five million jobs going away, mm-hmm. uh, an addition of hundred and fifty eight million jobs, right? So. Essentially, what what it's saying is, although there are 75 million jobs that's going to go away, but there's going to be an addition of 158 million, which gives us you know 53 million newer jobs, right? So it's it's newer job titles, it's newer ways of doing things. Um, so I I personally feel, and you know, every technology has, every technology boom has created you know this type of fear, and and we have overcome that. Um, mm-hmm. When it comes to specifically AI, right? I mean, uh, you know, I look at it as we are at a point where you still have to teach AI. We are mm-hmm. still AI is still in a narrow intelligence mode, right? right. Um, so you still have to um, train the model for mm-hmm. specific data, mm-hmm. and who is going to train the model, right? And so, th- so we need people, data scientists, data analysts, even like simple, you know, if, it, if we are talking just blue collar type mm-hmm. of work. Um, those are trainers, you know. Mm-hmm. You, you all there's. You don't need a computer science degree to be able to teach a model, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, so we have, uh, you know, we have brought in for some of the work that we do. We have brought in interns from, from universities and have them uh, sit and train data, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, mark these as enti- What are the entities on mm-hmm. these? And and so so uh, the jobs will change. You know, I I feel like. People who were in tier one help desk mm-hmm. calls, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so those people will now be assigned to do data training, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, so, so so jobs will change, but I don't think jobs will go away. Um, so that's my you know that's my strong feeling. I like that example where you're using interns to actually label and train the data. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's really good to know because. 
um, too often a lot of people associate higher level skills like a computer science degree. But I think if somebody who's interning and labeling and training the data might get curious, they might learn beyond that. Absolutely. And I think yeah. there's that, that's actually a great, great point. It really, you know, um, last summer we actually brought in a high school intern um, uh, to be able to do some labeling of this data. Um, and actually I met her at a conference and she came over and said, you know, I'm, I'm a high school, you know, I'm very interested in computers. I want to learn about computers. So, I, you know, and, and so we, we brought her in and, you know, for, for the summer, for two months, did a lot of training. And now she got so interested in, in AI that she started taking certifications mm-hmm. in, uh, in deep learning.ai and, you know, getting, mm-hmm. uh, getting certifications from them. So it's actually a great, great way to introduce themselves. So there's not this big scare mm-hmm. of you have to, you know, you have to be a computer science, you have to have a computer science degree to be able to learn and, and do AI. Right, right. So that's a good segue to end the conversation on the note of what advice do you have, like people who are either curious about getting into AI as a career or they are in the mid-level of their careers and are finding it difficult to navigate into a data science world? What advice do you have for them? A couple of things, right? Uh, You know, I I think if you are a student looking to get get into AI, then I think, you know, you should... Uh, you know, you can look at your school, you, you know, if they have courses around AI, courses around data science, it's all about understanding data, right? It's mm-hmm. really statistics and mathematics is mm-hmm. at the end of it. Um, I think the Coursera and, and Andrew know who mm-hmm. was, um, mm-hmm. you know. Um, that I personally did the same course. Exactly. Oh, mm-hmm. really? Okay. Yep. So now mm-hmm. he has he has one um, that says AI for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it's a fabulous course. It yep. kind of introduces everybody to what AI itself is. So if you're if you're you know fairly curious about you know actually I had a, a information interview uh, last week with someone who works for uh, works for a company and mm-hmm. as a sales representative and is looking to get into you know it's a, it's mm-hmm. a, I just thought about it. it's a perfect example right mm-hmm. uh, he you know in the information interview was asking me what you know what do you recommend and I told him exactly the same go I sent you know go learn about AI and okay. you don't need to know. Python, you don't need to do any of the stuff. It's mm-hmm. just understanding what AI is, what is that black box, what a neural network itself is. Right? Um, so, so courses like that would very would help a lot. Um, on the other side, um, you know, if you're working for a large firm, right, mm-hmm. and and if they have any, you can find out if they have any AI research that's going Training on because what one mm-hmm. one thing that we need um to in order to build models is smes right mm-hmm. subject matter experts right um these are people who understand the comp- the the subject matter right mm-hmm. so so these are people who've been in the company for ages so if they are able to if they ha- are familiar with ai then it, it becomes extremely extremely helpful to build mm-hmm. the model the right mm-hmm. way um, so I think that's a great way to actually for them to uh, they become extremely valuable mm-hmm. right within the company. You know, you're talking about the fear of losing a job. Mm-hmm. Now, if you become an SME to train a model, then you become uh, extremely valuable to the company. So I right. think that's a way that's that's something that, you know, people who work for large companies should look into as well. Um, that's, you know, that's my two yeah, cents. That's a great advice. Thank you so much, Malesh. It was a pleasure talking to you today. And for those of you listening in, until next time, goodbye. Thanks so much. Thank you for tuning in to The Workforce Show. This interview and others can be found at wera.fm 
or at careercentralonline.com. Thank you for listening. Until the next time.